But I want to talk to you today about living between grace and hope. Living between grace and hope. Grace is, as I said last week, when Jesus came down at Advent, at Christmas time, when Jesus came down to save us and to deliver us from our sins. Grace is what God gives us daily that we don't deserve to, to be able to live successfully, to live overcoming lives, to live victoriously. God doesn't call any of us to live in defeat, and God doesn't call any of us to be failures, but God calls failures and makes them successes. Can you say amen to that? He takes our sins and removes them and casts them away as far as the east is from the west, and that's infinity. But then, as we looked at last week as well, God calls us out. He, Jesus calls us out, and he calls us out, and he begins to make us more and more like Jesus. God is totally committed, as we looked at last week, and as I made a couple of brief videos, if you saw them online this week, that God is totally committed to making you and I more and more Christ-like. Second Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that little by little, degree by degree, bit by bit, God is making us more like Jesus, and I've still got a long way to go. I'm like the Apostle Paul that I read about last week and shared with you. I'm just not giving up. If I can stand the pulling, God's going to pull me, and he's going to pull you through. Can you say amen to that? But then there's this, this word called hope, and hope for the Bible, hope for followers of Jesus Christ doesn't mean what it says and what our culture says. Hope is what we kind of wish happens. Hope is what we hope might happen or take place in our life. Hope in the Bible shapes our lives. Hope in the Bible shapes how we think because hope is something that we rest assured of and we're confident of. I mentioned to Larry this morning, our Larry, that um, I was going to talk about a Larry this morning, but it wasn't him. And so I just don't want anybody going to Larry after service saying, dude, what was wrong with you? But Larry, who gave me permission to share this story, his family did. Larry came to us very confused. He had quit his job because he had been a part of a congregation of people that just believed that the rapture was about to take place at any moment and that they had to just pull away and fast and pray and do everything they could to get the people to come to know the Lord. It began to cause problems in Larry's marriage because after a while the money they'd saved, it began to run out. It began to cause problems with Larry's children because they had issues, and his little boy, not quite so much. His little boy idolized his dad, but their teenage daughter was having some issues. And so it began a wonderful long-term friendship that even though they've moved away, I had this wonderful friendship with Larry. And I said, Larry, I said, the problem that I have sometimes with how some people talk about the coming of the Lord, this hope that we have, and by the way, the Bible calls it a blessed hope. Say that with me. A blessed hope, say it again, a blessed hope that Jesus is coming. History is going somewhere. History is linear. It's not repeating cycle after cycle. And so it's a blessed hope for you and for me. I said, Larry, if people would read their Bibles, then they would know that we're supposed to occupy until he comes. As a matter of fact, in one of the most famous passages, Jesus tells his disciples to be diligent, to be busy, to work hard while they wait for the return of the Lord. And so 
There's nowhere in the scripture that justifies us, as some people have told me, I'm going to move to Alaska and hunt moose. I don't know if you've ever eaten moose. There's a lot better stuff at Kroger than there is eating some moose that's been shot in the wild, okay? So I don't want to live in Alaska either. Michigan is as cold as I want to be. Larry loved Jesus. Larry loved him, and Larry got his life turned around. He had a job. He got a great job in the computer industry and got his life, got back on a firm financial footing. <clears throat> but the second coming of Jesus remains now a blessed hope for Larry and for Diane and for their children now that he understands a little more about what the Bible has to say. I read an article not too long ago, and then I just began looking through Facebook, and I did. I found groups of people that say they were traumatized by the teaching of the rapture or the second coming of Jesus while they were growing up in church. And I can understand that. I'm telling you, I had hell preached so hard at me, I could feel the flames licking at my feet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Matter of fact, I could smell the sulfur sometime. And I was absolutely convinced I was going to bust hell wide open because that was just the kind of religious tradition that I grew up in. Matter of fact, my mother and I were talking about that on the phone the other day, and she said, yeah, we might have went a little overboard on that and not talked enough about mercy and grace. I went, you think, Mama? She said, you're not too old for me to spank yet. I love my Mama. But I want you to know that the return of the Lord, it's a blessed hope. It's something we look forward to. And if you're watching online or if you're watching this later in the week, I want you to know that as passionate followers of Christ, we have not lost our minds when we believe what Jesus taught, that he is coming again one day for you and for me. Amen? So would you stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord and let me read to you. Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. In other words, I want you to grieve hopefully. He wants, we, we're supposed to grieve, but we grieve hopefully. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, <coughs> when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together we, with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, listen to this, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I want you to read this passage with me out loud because I want it to get deep into your spirit. If you hear nothing else that I say today, hear this passage from the word of the Lord. So let's read it together. Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Look at your neighbor today and say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Father, I'm asking you now in the next few minutes, would you give us clarity? Lord, if there is anxiety in anyone's heart about the coming of the Lord, then I pray that in Jesus' name, that, Lord, you will put them at peace today and that the promise of your return, the promise, Lord, that one day, time as we know it is going to end, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus, I pray, let us encourage and comfort one another with these words. For it's in Christ's name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You want to grab a pen or a pencil and take careful notes this morning. The reason I want to talk about grace is we all know the difference that Jesus made in our lives when he forgave our sins. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we don't still wrestle and struggle, but he changed our nature, he changed our desires, he changed our heart, he freed us from the things that held us bondage, he gives us purpose and hope, he gives us gifts with which to serve him with. Grace is that amazing thing that takes place every single day of our lives. Knowing what I was going to preach on this morning when I woke up early and the sun still wasn't up, I was conscious of Becky's head being on my shoulder and my arm around her waking up, and I thought, Lord, how good life is, how sweet life is, how precious these moments are like this. And if you were a guest and you saw me kissing a woman on the side, that's my wife. And, um, well, never mind. Anyway, I just thank the Lord for that wonderful moment that God made all of this possible. Because for me, the doctors always said that was an impossibility. A family being able to do what I'm doing today, being able to serve on the board of the college that I went to when I was told that I wasn't college material and that my mind shouldn't even function. I thank God every day for grace and for what God has done. But that word hope really stands out to me as well because hope has, has shaped my character. It shapes your character, what you hope for. What you believe is going to happen in your future, it shapes your character, it shapes how you plan your careers and vocation, it shapes how you, you raise your children. Ultimately, the future that you're experiencing today, that you hoped for yesterday, is because of whatever and whoever you placed your hope in. Because what your hope is has tremendous shaping power, not only upon your future upon this earth, but upon your ultimate future in hope in heaven. Zoltan would often say to me when we were having lunch or when he would stop by the church sometime and 
just wait in the outer office until I came out of my office to be able to talk for a while. Zoltan would often say to me, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming again. And he lived with this passionate hope in his heart. And yet, as Zoltan's death showed us, and for those of you that are young and watching and young here, Paul is writing because this early church is kind of confused because one of the things that we all have to face is the reality of death. And sometimes when I'm talking with couples that I'm going to marry, I have two couples that I'm working with right now, one of the things we talk about is till death do us part. And even though they're young and they have bright futures ahead of them, I remind them, if Jesus doesn't return first, there is a lot of death in your future. Either you will die young or you will grow old and you will see a lot of your friends and your family die around you. At Zoltan's funeral, it was said more than once yesterday that Zoltan is with the three people he loves most. He's with Jesus, he's with his wife Mary, and he's with their daughter who died so young just as a child. And so death is something that was a part of our lives, and all of us in this room have experienced it. But the antidote that God has for us is the hope that we have that those who die in faith in Christ Jesus, we shall be reunited with them. And that's what brought this up in this conversation that Paul is having with the church is because some of the Christians were confused. They expected Jesus to come right away like my friend Larry and Diane expected. And when he didn't, they were worried that their friends that had died that somehow or another they were going to miss out on the return of the Lord. And so Paul gives them this antidote and says, no, they are asleep. And he doesn't mean soul sleep like some of the cults teach. He got that word from Jesus who talked about Lazarus. Remember Lazarus that he told the disciples, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. They said, oh God, that's good. He's sleeping. He's resting. He's recovering from his sickness. He says, no, Lazarus is dead. And so they went and if you remember the story from John chapter 11, the Bible says that Jesus, and, and the New Living Translation really brings the Greek out well here. Jesus was trembling with rage as well as weeping because death is an intruder. Death was not to be a part of our experience. In the creative order, you were to grow brighter and brighter. In the creative order, you were to grow stronger and stronger and more beautiful as time went on. But according to Romans 8, when we thought we could be our own saviors, when we thought we could be masters of our own fate, we broke the world, sin entered into the world, and it broke us, and it brought sin and sickness and disease and violence into our world. And it's why Jesus was so angry, because this was not the way it was supposed to be. And yet some Christians... They have this pietistic attitude that is so far from godly. And I've had to step in from time to time where people have said, now, now, don't cry. We know they're in a better place. Now, now, don't cry. We should rejoice. No. When someone I love dies, when Zoltan died, I grieve. I grieve deeply because death is an intruder. It's not welcome. It's not normal. We know we were meant for something more than just this earth. It's why that every culture has this, 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 
this belief, whether it's myth or whatever they go upon, that there's going to be a happy beyond, a happy tomorrow, a happy hunting ground. The Egyptian pharaohs who put all their wealth in arrows and had people killed so they would have slaves in the next life. The scriptures paint a totally different picture for us, though, because God came that we might have life. Job, the Bible says, he grieved when his children were killed. The Bible says that Job grieved. He threw ashes upon his head. He screamed. He wailed. But the Bible says in all of this, Job did not sin. It's not a sin to grieve. As a matter of fact, it's an act of faith because I declare to you, death is not our friend. Death is our enemy. And oh, the death has lost its sting and it's lost its victory because Christ rose again from the dead and he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because he lives, we're going to live forever as well. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that's the clear teaching of the Scripture. And those of you that read the Iliad in, home, in school, you remember where Homer says, Bear up, don't give way to angry grief. Nothing will come of sorrowing for your son, nor will you raise him up before you die. You see, there's that attitude that some people have. What's the use of crying? It's not going to change things. Oh, no. Jesus wept because death is an intruder. And then... There's a cute little thing called the Lion King. How many of you remember that? I remember watching that with my children the first time. And, you know, the pastor, the preacher, the teacher in me always wants to interrupt the movie and say, that's not how it is. And sometimes my family say, before we start a movie, they say, now, Dad, even if it presents a lie, you be quiet. Because I want to interrupt it. And I go, no. Because in the Lion King, when the old king dies, he just decays and goes in the ground. And then animals come along and eat the grass that he fertilizes. And then they live. And so it's the whole circle of life. I don't want to be fertilizer for the grass. I want to live forever with Jesus and with all my family in Christ. Can you say Amen. And there's something in all of us, we know that that's true. Lost people know that's true. So you say, Pastor, what do you do with your anger and your grief about death? I rub it with hope. I just begin to massage it the way you would rub a, a barbecue rub into some ribs or into a side of meat. And I begin to rub it and with hope the way that my parents and grandparents would rub meat with salt to preserve it in the, in the smokehouse. Because not to grieve would destroy me as a man. Not to grieve would destroy my humanity. Not to grieve would break me. But when I press hope into my grief, then suddenly I become wiser. I become humbler. But I become more hopeful because I know there is a day when Jesus is coming again. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? So let's look at what Paul says, and I'll be very brief with this. God makes an announcement. God wants you to understand. Pastor Corey made an announcement that I want you to remember that Raymond Marshall will be with us next week. You're going to enjoy his ministry. Your students are going to enjoy his ministry. But God wants us to understand 
and be encouraged and comforted by end-time events. Say that with me. God wants us to be encouraged by end-time events. Say it again. God wants us to be encouraged by end-time events. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Look who's coming for you and for me, the Lord himself. The Lord himself. Have you ever gotten, tried to place a phone call and somebody says, well, they can't talk to you, but you can talk to this so-and-so, or they'll send somebody out for you. But Jesus is coming for you. Jesus is coming for the Lord himself will come. And there's going to be the voice of the archangel and all around the globe, the church is going to hear his voice. Others may not hear his voice. Those that don't believe, those that are not in fellowship with God, but those who love his appearing. The Bible says those who love his appearing, they purify themselves. They want to walk in close fellowship. But the Lord himself will descend. And here's another thing that he says in, in, in John 16, verse 4. He says, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. You see, my friend Larry and the congregation that he was a part of that eventually broke apart because Jesus didn't come the way that the pastor was teaching him he was going to come. We make a mistake when we try to predict the future. Jesus said to us, he says, only the Father knows. He says, not even the Son, only the Father knows. So why would we be, we be foolish enough to try to set a date? But notice carefully, if you can put that scripture back on the screen for me, John 16, 4. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I can't predict the future, but when certain events happen, I can remember what Jesus said in the Bible, and I can have confidence that God is in control. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Because I remember how Jesus taught us. So it's not my job to predict the future. What I want to be is like the sons of Issachar. Remember them in the Bible? The sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We want to be that kind of congregation. We understand the times that we're living in. We know what we should do, but we also, like the sons of Issachar, we have the courage to do it. You see, there are times when we know what to do, but we're fearful to do it. We're fearful to take the step of faith. We're fearful to trust God because, and honestly, this is what our doubt says, what if God doesn't keep his word? What if God doesn't come through? But to be like the sons of Issachar, we know his word, we have confidence in his word, and we understand the times, and when something happens, we go, oh yeah, Jesus taught about that because we're daily reading and meditating in God's word. We are familiar with what God's Word says. Secondly, the rapture, and I'll explain that word in just a second, the rapture starts an entire process of events. It starts an entire process of events. Now, I know the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the word that we're using, that we take this from, the Greek word, I'm not trying to impress you with Greek, but I just want you to understand how colorful this word is, is harpazo. Say that with me. Harpazo. Say it again. Harpazo, now you're Greek scholars. Because harpazo is what an eagle does when it swoops down on a lake and it grabs a salmon 
out of the, out of the river or the lake. It's, it's what an eagle does when it swoops down and it grabs a lamb from the flock. It snatches it away. And this word harpazo that we're going to read in just a moment, it's this snatching away where God catches us up. It's also like I, I saw in a video when I was looking up some YouTube videos of a bird snatching up where a mother eagle came down and snatched up one of her eaglets that wasn't learning how to fly. And instead of killing it, she carried it right back up to its giant nest. Friends, we have a home in heaven. And one day there's going to be an event called Harpazo or the catching away. It's what we call the rapture. I'm looking forward to that time. Aren't you? that time when Jesus comes again. Then together with them, if you'll look with me now at 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, we will be, say it with me, harpazo. No, talk Greek today, okay? Harpazo. Say it again. Harpazo. Do you see that eagle coming down? Do you see the Lord coming down to gather us all up? We will be called up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Read it with me. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. Hallelujah. We will be with the Lord forever. History is going somewhere. You and I are on a journey. Paul says that the resurrection of the dead in Christ is going to come first. All of those who've died in faith from our congregation, from our families, our dear brother Zoltan will be harpazo. They will be called up. The Bible says, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now, let me just be, take just a moment and just insert something here, because, and I don't have a lot of time left. But those that have died in Christ, they're with the Lord right now, Okay. They're not like Casper the ghost floating around. They're not little ethereal blobs, but their bodies quit working, and they are alive in the presence of the Lord. It's why Jesus says you err when you talk about the dead being dead because Abraham and Isaac, they're all alive in the presence of God. And so Zoltan is more alive. What does he look like? I don't know, but I do know that one day there's coming a time when our Bodies will be resurrected. What age will they be? I don't know that either, but I can tell you this. In heaven, I am not going to have the diseases. I am not going to have the things that are wrong with me. I am not going to be weak. I am not going to be frail. You're not going to be weak. You're going to be more beautiful, more brighter. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be healthier. Friends, I can't wait for that new body in Christ. Can you say amen to that? It's the truth. I said, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, just look at Jesus' resurrection body. He just appeared wherever he wanted to appear, and he walked through into a room that was locked up, the Bible says, and he says, guys, if you've got anything to eat, I'm going to have fried chicken in heaven, and I know that. I'm kind of like, well, never mind. We want you to know, let's look next at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. When Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Then we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. In other words, when Zoltan and Alan and everyone else that have died, they come back, we're going to meet them 
in the air. Look again. I, I'm going quickly, so follow along. 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are fully confident, and that's what I want you to be. I want you to understand our hope is a blessed hope. We are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Secondly, the living believers will be called up. You and I, this is the harpazo. This is the catching away. Then together, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be called up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. Now, I think this is what causes some people anxiety because the Scripture is very clear that there will follow a great time of tribulation upon the earth. You see, the church is the salt and the light of the earth. The Holy Spirit at work in the church. The Holy Spirit will still be present, but the church will be called away. This week, I read an awful, angry screed in one of the major newspapers of the U.S. of a writer teaching at a major university saying that the problem with America today was Bible-believing Christians. And that they were the trouble. They were what was wrong with America. And if somehow that we could be overcome, that America then would begin to racially heal and gender heal. And, and just somehow or another, it's the same lie that has been launched against Christians throughout the ages since Jesus died for our sins. The great persecution. Well, that time will come when this writer will have his answer. His hope will be fulfilled. When Harpazo, when the Lord catches away the church and then the salt and the light, the preservative of the church, the violence that will ensue, the corruption that will ensue, yes, this should cause people anxiety because I want you to know people who are truly passionate followers of Christ, who are loving, who are forgiving, who are non-judgmental, who are peaceful and filled with the joy of the Lord but have the courage to do the right thing, they are what is preserving and saving the earth today. When you have a government that runs amok, then if they decide that the Hmong people must be killed, or Tibetan people must be killed, or Jewish people must be killed, or black people must be killed, when you have something like that happens, has happened in dictatorships, you see just the future of what the tribulation is going to be. So yes, the tribulation should cause anxiety to folks who don't put their faith in Jesus. But the catching away of the church and the rapture of the church, it's the blessed hope for those that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. It is why we plead so passionately with lost people, give your heart to Jesus, trust Christ, understand that God loves you, he's not angry at you. It's why he sent Jesus to die for our sins upon the cross, that we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. Can we give him another hand of praise for that? And just so we're clear, there's so much more I could say about that, but 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, while he's talking about this subject, Paul goes, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about that great tribulation. And then finally this morning, God wants the rapture to give me hope and not anxiety. And I hope that when you walk away from this service today and after hearing this message, my prayer is that you'll listen to it several times over. That you'll download it to your phone and listen to it through your car play. You'll download it and listen to it while you're going for a walk and listen several times and let this message get deep into your heart. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Yesterday at Zoltan's funeral, one of his granddaughters shared at the very end, it was the most touching, most beautiful thing. She said, I wandered away from Jesus as a teenager. She said, I forsook the Lord. And she said, but what brought me back to Jesus was when I was in my grandparents' home and I heard them calling each of their grandchildren's name out to the Lord in prayer in their bedroom. And she began to mention the name she heard. And she says, and then I heard my name called. And she said, at that moment, my heart broke. And I realized that what I was doing was insanity. And that there was a God who loved me. Christ had died for my sins. And she said, I step here today to do what my grandfather always asked people everywhere he went. Will you give your heart to Jesus? Will you put your faith in him? Will you accept what Jesus Christ did for you? What a legacy of faith that I pray that every one of us have. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me go over the growth work real carefully with you, and then we're going to pray. I'm asking you to think carefully about this question. What will happen to you when I die? What will happen to me? I ask my kids that question from time to time. It's one that I've carefully thought about, prayed about. It's one I pray for you and for your children, and there are cards that come in every single week saying, pray for my grandson, pray for my son, pray for my husband, and I promise you we are joining with you in prayer praying for some of them I know their names by heart and I know you're going to turn the card in and I never even have to look and I don't even know what they look like but I'm praying with you because God is working in their hearts God is answering your prayer when you pray Romans 8 24 says and would you read it with me if it's up on the screen for in this hope we were saved say it with me for in this hope we were saved secondly in your growth work, the rapture is about relationship. We're called up like that mother eagle in the video. She, she grasped that baby eaglet because she didn't want to lose it. God is not going to lose you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can snatch you out of the hand of God. God loves you. And the rapture is not about God with this, this chart on the wall. The rapture is about he loves you. I appreciated Andrew's faith in me. But once when he had to go on an assignment to Iraq under an assumed identity, he left a note. He said, Mom, if something happens to me, please do not let Dad come to Iraq. I love that he still thinks that I would be able to do something like that. But there is a God in heaven that busted hell wide open for you when he died for your sins at Calvary. And he said, it is finished. Not I'm finished, but it is finished. God loves you today. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? He loves you today.
And death is not the end. It is to be home with the Lord. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. And then finally, the rapture is meant to make me an encourager now. I hope that you'll walk out of here not feeling smug about what you know about the second coming of Jesus, but that you'll walk out of here encouraged and that when you talk about the return of the Lord, you will talk about the relationship, the love of God, and the fact this is the most encouraging news I know. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, right now, I ask you to do what I've asked. Lord, would you search our hearts? Father, if there are friends here or friends online, people who are watching, I'm going to ask everyone to be very still right now. This is an important moment. That haven't committed their lives to Christ yet. Or maybe like Zoltan's granddaughter, they've just walked away from their faith in Jesus. Would you touch them right now? Put an unexplainable desire in them to come home to God, to come home to Christ, and to know that they are loved beyond anything they can imagine. And if that's you, would you just, you can pray this silently. You don't have to pray it out loud. I'm not going to embarrass you, but would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, Father in heaven, thank you for giving Jesus, for giving his life in exchange for my sins. I confess to you that I need to be saved that I need a fresh start in life. And I don't understand it all yet. But I commit my life as much as I know how to you today, trusting that Jesus forgives every sin, washes me clean, whiter than snow, and gives me a brand new start in life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Now, while no one's looking around, I will ask you to do one thing just to help you get started. This is about you, not me. But if you prayed that prayer, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I ask Christ into my heart today. I committed my life to Jesus. Would you hold up your hand? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I'm committing my heart and life to Christ today. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? For the Bible says... He rejoices with us. Well, as you enjoy this Labor Day, celebrate with your family tomorrow, like Pastor Corey says. Not only thank DTE and pray that Comcast can get our internet restored back here at the church. They have a part they're trying to get. I guess it's like chips for automakers, but they told us it could be another week. But would you pray they get it restored? But as soon as this message is up online, I want you, I'm going to send you a message out. Download it, listen to it several times until it gets deep in your spirit. May the Lord bless you with the words of God today. That one day he is coming back to catch you away where you will be at home with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. God bless you. Go in peace today. Amen.